1 Thessalonians. I'm going to read the first 10 verses. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always give thanks for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Awesome. Thanks for that, Ryan. Uh, hey, it's great to see you. My name is Ben, if we've never met before. We're going to be looking at this passage uh, in a moment. We are kicking off a series in 1 Thessalonians. This is going to be for the next six weeks as we look at this encouragement to this church in Thessalonica, but also how it's an encouragement to us as well. Um, so really excited to look at God's Word this morning and for the next few weeks. Uh, let's pray before we get into God's Word, though. Let's do this. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are a God who speaks and you're a God who's active and a God who works among us. Lord, we pray that right now, wherever we are, um, that whatever kind of distractions we have in our rooms, in our minds, in our hearts, whatever things are kind of pulling us away from being focused and, and looking at what you're saying, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to tune in. We pray, Lord, that you would work among us today, that you would challenge us and change us, that you would bring us a deep conviction of who you are and what you've done for us in Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. So I wonder if you're someone who's into superhero movies, um, and if you are, what your favorite superhero is. In fact, kids, if you're watching this at home, uh, I want you to, when we come back to church, hopefully not too far, I want you to let me know who your favorite superhero is. You see, it's not just kids who like superheroes, though. Um, it's a massive industry, the whole superhero industry. In fact, Avengers last year made something like $2.8 billion. Uh, the, the last movie of the series, I, I believe uh, it is. But, but I don't know if you've ever asked this question. Why do people get into superheroes? Why is it that we like, like superheroes? And why, why do you like superheroes? Is it because, you know, I don't know, they're fun? Is it because it's this idea that people can have crazy powers and, and use them? Is it, you know, because we like an escape, you know, fantasy? It's not real. It's, it's, it's different to us and, and we can just, I don't know, escape for a bit and enjoy that. Maybe it's because there's nothing else that, you know, we're doing. And so there's no other good movies out, so we'll just watch that. 
Um, maybe it's a mixture of that. I, I think, though, one of the reasons we like superhero movies is because when we watch this, we, we get to appreciate someone who's got the power to make a difference. You know, we watch people who have a power and they, they actually make a difference. And not only do we like watching that, but we resonate with that. You know, it makes us feel like maybe we could have the power to make a difference as well. That's why when we think about superheroes, that's why, like, universally, people like Batman more than Superman, right? Like, Superman's a hack. No one likes Superman, but Batman, I can relate to him. You know, I can resonate with him because I feel like, for me, if I had, like, I don't know, a trillion dollars and bought a suit and a car, I could do the stuff that he does. Iron Man, you know, I know this is going to trigger some people out there, but if I had... I don't know, what, what's he got in him, a battery or something? I don't know, if I, if I had that, I could do what Iron Man. We like watching people, heroes that we can relate to and resonate with. But let me suggest that there's a better hero than Batman or Iron Man, a better hero than even your favorite superhero. Um, it's my personal favorite hero, and this is the picture of him. Here he is. This is, this guy, he's a hero. Um, if you don't know who this is, um, then you should. His name's Peter Volandi, and let me tell you, this guy is one of the greatest superheroes because he has a power to make a difference. Now, um, when it comes to his power, no one really knows how it works. No one completely knows the intricacies, the details of what his power actually does. But somehow he pulls it off and he's made a difference. He's the, if, you, if you're still not sure, he's the chairman of the NRL. And this is what he did in the middle of a global pandemic. He picked a date, which by all accounts was far too soon, picked a date, said the NRL is going to come back, and it did. You know, he's a hero. He's a a guy with power who can make an actual difference. See, we, we love watching heroes, guys, power that makes a difference. And we like watching them and, and not only looking at them, but we, we resonate with that because it is a human longing to want a power to actually make a difference. Now, here's where it's interesting as we kick off this series in 1 Thessalonians. As we look at the opening 10 verses of Thessalonians, what we see is Paul begins this letter to this church by reminding them that there is a power. There's a power to make a difference. And it's not just a reminder, it's an invitation. It's an invitation to the church to continue to be involved with the power to actually make a difference. And so as we come to it this morning, the question we want to ask is, what is this power? What is the power that we have kind of in our fingertips? What is the power that we can have to make a difference? Well, we're going to see that as we look at this passage and, and look at 1 Thessalonians. And we're going to pick it up in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles there, I want to encourage you, have them open. Uh, it'll be on the screen if you don't. But here it is. It says this, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. So what is the power that we have to make a difference? Well, what we're going to see in these opening 10 verses is, is two things, actually. There's a power when we speak with our words, and there's a power in our lives. 
There's a power when we speak. That's the first thing that we see here. And it's not just when we speak any words. It's when we speak the gospel. Now, this is highlighted in verse 4 and 5, where it says, Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power. There's a power when we speak, and there's a power when we speak the gospel. Now, it raises the question, what's the gospel? What is this word gospel? Because often in Christian circles, in in churches, you know, we hear this word all the time. But what does gospel actually mean? Well, gospel literally means good news. You know, it could be translated good news. And it's the kind of dancing in the street type of good news. It's like, it's not just good news, it's next level news, right? It's the beautiful, life-giving, life-changing news of Jesus, You know, it's the good news of the whole Bible that culminates in Jesus, particularly his death and resurrection. It's the good news that Jesus died on the cross to save us, to save us from our sin and to save us from the wrath of a just and holy God. It's the good news, the beautiful news that he died and he rose again, that he didn't stay dead. He came back from the dead, and, and he defeated sin, and he defeated death, and he defeated Satan. This is the gospel. It's the beautiful, life-giving, life-changing news of Jesus' death and resurrection. Paul says when, when we speak, and when we speak the gospel, there's power. Now, what's the power? Well, we see it again. It's attached to the work of the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. The power is on offer. When we speak the gospel, the power is what works within people. God, the Holy Spirit, works within people to give them a deep conviction where they see the beauty and the glory of the gospel. That's the power at work. They speak and God works powerfully within people to give a deep conviction. So when we think about this, the gospel and the power of God, those two things working together, how do these things work together? How do we understand the gospel and the power of God? Well, it's kind of like this. You know, in the last, I think we've been online 11 weeks. And in the last 11 weeks, we've all spent more time on Zoom than we ever wanted to. You know, if you're someone in this pandemic that escaped having to spend day in, day out on Zoom, congratulations. You've, I feel like you win the pandemic. But the rest of us, we're on Zoom all the time. You know, I'm on, I'm on Zoom for work, uh, growth groups on Zoom, the life courses on Zoom, youth groups on Zoom. Uh, I'm hearing there's some kids' church stuff on Zoom. Everything is on Zoom. And uh, we've all spent a lot of time on Zoom. But, but you know what's happened? Regardless of how good we're getting at Zoom, regardless of how much time we're spending on Zoom, the same thing happens every single meeting. And you, you know what it is because without doubt it'll happen. Someone will try and speak when they're on mute. It just, it always happens, right? You can't escape it. Someone will try and speak when they're on mute. It doesn't matter how good you are at it. It just always happens. You know, I I was doing the calculations for me. I reckon I've spent uh, over 110 hours in the last 11 weeks on Zoom. And yet this week, I think I did it three times. You go to speak and you're on mute. But see, here's the thing. When you're on Zoom and you're speaking when you're on mute, words are still coming out, right? You're still saying stuff, but no one can hear you. You're still saying stuff, but while you're on mute, no one's going to hear you. And it doesn't matter how good the stuff is you're saying. It doesn't matter, like, if, if what you're saying is powerful. It doesn't matter if what you're saying is, you know, the answer to the question that's been asked. It doesn't matter how thought through the person is who's speaking. If you're on mute, you will never be heard. 
Now, this is kind of what's going on here. When we think about the gospel and us speaking the gospel and the power of God at work in that moment, this illustration, this picture gives us kind of an idea of how these two things work together. And really, it helps us understand what our job is and what God's job is. So our job is to speak. You know, that, that's what we're called to. We're called to speak, and we're called not just to speak any words. We're called to speak gospel words. So it's our job to get and understand what the gospel is. It's our job to understand the beauty and the glory of Jesus' death and resurrection. It's our job to remind ourselves of that. It's our job to get the gospel so deeply within our veins that kind of like if you cut us, that we'll bleed gospel, right? We are to speak the gospel. That's our job. But it's God's job to unmute us. It's God's job to bring the power and deep conviction. We speak, but God is the one who helps people see the beauty of the gospel. That's what happens. We speak the gospel, and if God decides to show up, He's the one who provides deep conviction. He's the one who works within people. Now, this is the truth that Paul's getting at in verse 4 and 5, right? You, you see this here in 4 and 5. He says, We spoke the gospel, it came not just with words, but also with power. And he's reminding the church of this, and he's inviting them to this as well, to be involved in speaking the gospel and God's power. But what I love about this book, and, and often you get this with letters throughout the New Testament, is we don't just see the truth, we've actually seen it unfold. And in Acts, we see what Paul is saying here unfold, because in Acts chapter 17, we actually get the story of how Paul came to this church in Thessalonica. Now, again, if you've got your Bibles there, you can flick over to it, but let me set the scene here. Acts 16. This is the scene. So Acts 16, you've got Paul rocking up. Uh, he goes to Philippi. He gets beaten and jailed, and then you get that earthquake. He leaves jail, and he goes to Thessalonica, and we see this here on the screen in chapter 17, but I do want you to think about this, right? I mean, Paul is literally probably covered in scars. He's, he's been beaten up. He's been put in prison. And here he's going to Thessalonica. Now, I, I want you to think through, what are you hoping for in Thessalonica? What are you hoping for here? You know, are you hoping for a, a, a long mission? Are you hoping for, I don't know, just some time to heal up, your bruises to heal, your scars to heal? Is that what you're hoping for in Thessalonica? You know, if it's me, to be honest, I want a, I want a long-term mission. That's what I want. I want to get to know the, the locals. I want to I want to suss out which, where the good cafes are. I want a comfortable kind of journey in Thessalonica. That's what I'm hoping for. But what do we see? Well, well let's have a look again in Acts 17. What we see is in verse 2, Paul goes covered in scars and bruises, and yet straight away he's into the, the synagogue. And for three Sabbath days, we see there in verse 2, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Verse 3, he's explaining to them the gospel, that the Messiah, Jesus, the King, had to suffer and rise from the dead. So Paul goes to Thessalonica and straight away preaches the gospel. But remember, he's only there for three days. Three Sabbath days, or three weeks, right? That's how long he's there for. Now, uh, we see in verse 4 the immediate response. Some of the Jews are persuaded. So that's, that's kind of cool. Some people are persuaded as a large number of God-fearing Greeks. So, you know, it's not just Jews. There's Greeks joining in and then quite a few prominent women. Now, in terms of short-term mission, this sounds pretty good. This is a good start to your mission in Thessalonica, right? And, and this is kind of what you're hoping for. This is a nice change from the, the journey in Philippi of getting beaten and thrown into prison. But if you're hoping for a, a long-term, comfortable mission trip, well, everything shifts. Everything changes. And we see this in verse 5. 
You see, in verse 5, other Jews get jealous. And I love this. They rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace. Now, just think about that. Like, why do they know who the bad characters are? I, I just love that. Like, and who are these bad characters? You know, I think of that, about this today. If I had to gather up bad characters, I don't know who I'm gathering up. You know, I kind of think of maybe these bad characters. They're the kind of, kind of men that just are always up for a fight. You know, those guys, <laughs> that's who they gather up. And, and we see this in verse 5. They form a mob and start a riot. It's kind of like the Jews were like, hey, you guys want to fight? And they're like, yeah, let's, let's do this. And, and we see this. So there's a mob, there's a riot, and then they go and try and grab Paul and Silas. But, but we meet Jason here. So Jason's now drawn in on this, and they can't find Paul and Silas in verse 6. So instead, they just drag Jason out. And they drag Jason out. They kind of say to the city officials, they're saying there's another king than Caesar. It's Jesus. Jason in verse 9 has got to pay bail or bond, and then he's let go. And that's kind of the end of the account. Now, we see in the next verse, in verse 10, that Paul and Silas escape in the middle of the night. The journey continues. They go to the next town, um, speak the gospel there. But then the people from Thessalonica find out about that. And so they chase them out of that next town as well. Now, think about this, right? Think about this. If you're Paul and Silas, if this has been your experience in Thessalonica, you know, like three weeks, that's all you got. Mobs, riots, you know, your, your boy Jason gets dragged into the city. He's got to pay bond. If you're reflecting on this, is that a, was that a success or a failure? You know, was that, was that trip to Thessalonica, was that a good thing or a bad thing? And, and more than that, are you recommending people to go back to Thessalonica to check out the village, the city, the, the people there? You know, a good group of people, the Thessalon Thessalonians, if you get to meet them one-on-one. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? No, I think for me, right, if I'm reflecting on that journey, it's a failure, right? And, and on the surface, that's what it feels like. It feels like a failure. It feels like that this was, this was, why did we go to Thessalonians? Why did we go to Thessalonica in the first place? Because mobs, riot, Jason gets in on it as well. And then we get chased out, not just of that city, but of the next one and pushed out of the place altogether. But notice when Paul and Silas and Timothy are reflecting on this, notice how they speak about it. They, they don't say that their trip to Thessalonica was a failure. No, they're saying of this space, despite the fact that it was a three-week failed mission trip with, robs, uh, with mobs and riots where they're pushed out of town, they say, no, we're celebrating this because when we spoke, when we spoke the gospel, the message of Jesus, his death and resurrection, God worked in power. And when God works in power, there's no obstacle that's going to stop deep conviction. There's no obstacle that's going to stop people from believing and seeing the beauty and the glory of Jesus. No mobs, no riots, not, you know, not long enough. Nothing will stop God from working. You know, I, I know that when we think about here in Australia, right, I know that when we think about mission and our country coming to know Jesus, you, you can fall into that temptation of thinking we're too far. You know, our city, our country will never believe in God. You know, um, maybe it's social media, maybe it's the media, or maybe it's just our experience. You know, maybe we've had conversations where we spoke the message, but nothing came of it. Maybe we've given invitations out over and over again, and we've been rejected or ignored. 
you know, we've sent that message, we've seen they've read it, and yet there's no reply. You know, it's, it's easy to, in that environment, think that, man, our, our city, our neighborhood, our country, we're too far from God. But what Paul's showing us here is that actually when we speak the gospel and when God shows up, when God works in power, if God does that, there's no obstacle that's going to stand in his way. No mob, no riot, no, you know, short, no, not enough time, no previous thoughts about God or religion, no previous ideologies or ideas or concepts, no baggage, no hurt. There's nothing that's going to stop God from working if God decides to rock up. And so what we see in this opening bit, and particularly in verse 4 and 5, is this invitation. When we speak the gospel, when we use our words, not to just speak anything, but gospel words, that that is where God works. And if God works, if God shows up in power to bring deep conviction, there's nothing that can stand in his way. And so you see the first way that we have a power to make a difference. It's by speaking gospel words. But as we're reading through this passage, we see it's not just through our words, it's through our lives. We see the second way that we can have the power to make a difference. God works in us and through us as we live lives that center on Jesus. And we see this as we keep reading from halfway through verse 5. And notice as we read this bit, notice how this church has changed and transformed and notice the difference it's making around them. Halfway through verse 5, we see, You know how we lived among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. The first way that God involves us, that God works through us in power is in our words, gospel words. But the second way is through our lives. Lives that have been transformed by the gospel. You see, when God's people live out a life that orbits around Jesus, that centers on Jesus, change is made. Right now, no, you, you see that with this church. They become imitators of Paul and Silas and of Jesus. Their life is different. You know, they, they trust in the gospel. They trust in the God of the gospel, in Jesus, and they're different because of it. You know, and, and how are they transformed? How are they different? Well, we see it in verse 9 and 10. They turn from idols to serve the living God. Now, for them, it probably was literally idols, right? It probably was other religions, other gods. For us, it's, it's maybe not other gods. It might be that. But for us, it's kind of whatever we're putting our hope on, whatever we're centering our life on. It might be work. It might be family. It might be our education. It might be success. It might be... Um, how people view me. It's whatever drives our life. That's what our idols are. And for this church, they turn from idols to serve the living God. They've now centered their life on Jesus. This is what we, we call here at Southside magnification. This is what magnification means. 
It's a life orbiting around Jesus, where once my life was pointing to anything else, but now it's a life that points to Jesus, that orbits around Jesus. They turn from idols to serve the living God. And notice for them, this service is active. You know, they're they're not just trusting in Jesus and lazy in their faith. No, they serve the living God. And we actually get an insight into this in verse 3 as well. I don't know if you noticed it, but in verse 3, when Paul is praying for this church, he thanks God that they're an active church. You know, he says, we praise God for you because of your labor, your work, your labor, your endurance. It's active. And this labor, this work, this labor, this endurance, it's grounded in faith, love, and hope. It's grounded in God's past actions, His present actions, and His future actions. So they work based on faith. They work because of what God has done at the cross, the gospel. They work because of what they know. Then they labor because of love, that God loves them now. It's a present thing. And they have a love for others now. And they endure because of hope, the hope that one day Jesus will return. You see, for this church, they've been transformed by Jesus. They're orbiting their lives on Jesus, and they're working, they're enduring, they're serving Him. Now, this is where it's cool. Their lives now, they're not just like doing this for no reason. Their lives make a difference. You see, it's not just in our words that make a difference when we speak gospel words. It's in lives that point to Jesus. Their lives make a difference. And we see this in kind of 7 and 8. We see how they've become imitators. But then we get this one word there. It's, it says, the Lord's message rang out from you. And uh, this word rang out, it's found only, or this idea, you know, in the original language, it's only once in the New Testament we see this. And literally the word is echo. It's where we get the word echo from, right? So when you're thinking echo, I don't know, what, what comes to your mind when you're thinking echo? You know, you might think of, you know, kids copying their parents. You might think of friendship groups, you know, when there's always someone that kind of copies, you know, someone else. For me, when I think of Echo, though, I actually think of this building. You know, in the last 11 weeks, there's been lots of echoes that have been made in this building without anyone here. But it's interesting because when we were putting this building together, you know, we celebrated this a few weeks ago. We've been open for three years in this building. And uh, the, the team that was putting the building together were doing everything they could to get rid of the echo. Um, this was because um, you, you want a building, a church building, to be acoustically friendly. And, you know, I don't know much about music, so, you know, I could be out of my league here. But when it comes to music, you don't just want to be singing in a massive shed because the, the sound rebounds off the place. It doesn't sound as good as it's kind of supposed to. And so what you want to do is you want to, as best as you can, get rid of the echo. And so We kind of, our team worked hard at creating ways that, you know, the sound could be absorbed. So like our roof and, you know, the squares on the back of our uh, front wall, you know, that they're built with special fabric or whatever to absorb the sound. We did everything we could to get rid of the echo. See, when we look at here, though, in this passage, what we see from Paul is he's actually saying, no, when the gospel comes, you want an echo. Obviously, not, he's not talking music here, but when the gospel comes, it's not just supposed to go in. You're not just to, you know, meant to absorb it. The church isn't just meant to go, yes, I want that. Yes, I want to be saved you know, from my sins and saved from the coming wrath. No, it's meant to hit us and rebound back. It's meant to create an echo. And this is what he says of the Thessalonian church. Because of the way you centered your life on Jesus, 
because of the way you served him, worked for him, labored, endured, it created an echo. And the echo was so loud that the people in Macedonia heard it, Achaia heard it, and then he's like, the people everywhere heard it. You see, the impact of the gospel, it's not just meant to go in. You know, for us as a church, it's not just meant to go in, it's meant to rebound off, it's meant to echo out. And this is meant to happen whether we gather or whether we're scattered, whether we're here at church, which, you know, we haven't been, or whether we're in our neighborhoods and our cities, our workplaces, even our country around the world, the, the impact of the gospel is meant to hit us, but then it creates an echo that we actually begin with our lives and with our words, speak the gospel, live the gospel everywhere. And you know what happens with an echo? The more people that get involved, the louder the impact. This is what happened with the church. And he's saying, when you lived a life centered on Jesus, it created an echo. God worked in great power through your words and through your lives. And so you see in this passage, the way that God invites us to be involved in making a difference. The way that God says there is a power on offer as you speak the gospel and as you live lives centered on Jesus. And the difference that we can make, you can see this here, is an eternal difference. This is a, a, a real, eternal, significant difference. This is not a small thing. This is a big difference. You know, we, we all as, a, as humans, we want to be involved in making a difference. No one likes to, you know, be at that spot where we can't make a difference. No one likes that feeling of being limited or, or feeling, you know, my weakness is what's stopping here. We want to feel valuable. We want to feel like we're making a real difference in our world. Paul is saying, hey, there's, there's an invitation here. You can make a real, significant, eternal difference. There's power on offer here. And so as we get to the end of this passage, I guess the question for us is, okay, so what does it mean for us? What does it mean for us to, to be accessing this power, to, to use this power to be making a real difference? What does it look like for us today and this week for us and for the rest of our lives to be kind of involved in this? Well, I think when we think about this, I think there's two steps that we make. And it's, it's simple. It's at least two steps, I should say. Two steps that we make as we get involved in what God is doing in this world. The, the first step is this. It's, it's counterintuitive, but the first step we make is we surrender. Now, I, I know that's counterintuitive because when you think of making a difference, you want to do stuff. You want to get out there and do stuff. But the first step we must make is surrender. Now, I, I don't know what you think of when you think of surrender, for me, I think of, you know, flying the white flag. I think of, you know, movies where they, they come out and they're flying that white flag. It's, it's kind of symbolic of loss. But see, when it comes to Jesus, although surrender is our only option, it's not loss. No, surrender happens first and foremost inwardly. It's, it's coming to Jesus and saying, you know what, I actually don't have the answers. I don't have the solution. I can't fix the problem of sin and I can't save myself from the just wrath of God because I've ignored him. I've offended him. Surrender is saying, I can't do this. And I need you, Jesus. And surrender is saying, I'm not going to put my hope in things of this world. I'm going to turn from my idols, whatever those idols are, whether it's work or family, whatever we've been centering our lives on. And we surrender in that moment. We go, I'm going to turn to the living God. Surrender is first and foremost inwardly. We go, I don't have it. I can't save myself. But surrender also means outward as well. It also happens outside of us. Because when we surrender outside of us, we also go, you know what? I can't change other people. 
I can't fix other people. I can't bring people deep conviction. I can't change hearts. I can't help people see what they don't see. And so I'm going to surrender to the God who can. And I'm going to plead with him and pray to him and ask him to do what I can't do. You see, the, the first step we must make is surrender. Inwardly, I can't save myself. And outwardly, I can't change other people. That's the first thing we do. But then the second thing we do is we participate. You see, surrender doesn't mean laziness. Surrender doesn't mean we do nothing. Surrender doesn't mean we continue to live our lives the same way that we've always been living our lives. No, if we surrender, the second step we make is we participate. Because God says when you get involved, when you participate, that's where he works. And so we participate, and we participate by speaking. We speak the gospel, and we speak even though it's hard. And it is hard. You know, some of us are feeling that right now. It's been hard. It's hard to speak the gospel. It's hard to continue to move into our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our families, our friends. It's hard to keep going when we've been rejected or ignored or we're even just worried about what their reactions will be. It's hard. But this is what God calls us to. He calls us to continue to speak the gospel, knowing what our job is and what his job is. It's our job to speak. It's our job to get the gospel right. But it's his job to work powerfully and bring deep conviction. So we participate by speaking, but we also participate by living a life that's centered on Jesus. Living a life that orbits around Jesus. Not, not me, not work, not family, but orbits around Jesus where everything I do points to him. And as we do this, as we participate with our words and our lives, there's power. There's power here. There is a power to make a real difference in this world, an eternal difference in this world, a power where God will work in us and through us. And so the question is, as we finish, have you surrendered? Have you let go? Have you put your trust in Him, inwardly and outwardly? And then will you participate with us? Will you be this echo around our neighborhood and our world so that people will see Jesus and we will be making a difference. This is the invitation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that there is power. Thank you that there's power on offer. Thank you, Lord, that you work in us and through us. Thank you for the hope that we have in the gospel. Lord, we pray that you would continue to work in us. We pray that you would give us deeper convictions that you would give us a stronger faith, a deeper hope, a greater love for you. And we pray, Lord, that we would be driven into our world, knowing that it's in us and through us that you work, for the sake of your glory and the good of your people everywhere. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.